What would you do to make your wildest desires come true? How far would you take it? Some people might even sell their soul for fame and money. The persuasive and intoxicating nature of religion has always called to us as complex humans. From the earliest civilizations to our most modern societies, there's always a greater being or force looming over us. Most of us, that is. But when it comes to power, even in science, there's always a flip side. Light cannot exist without darkness, heat without cold, good without bad. It's a tedious balance that has been the cause for many stories and speculation over the years. But where did it start? Why did it start? Our storytelling becomes grand and then terrifying. The shadows encompassing the sunlight, the devil, that is demons, taking over these stories. We want to investigate the study field of demonology and see where the truth lies and where it comes from. Why are we so intoxicated by the bad nestled within the good? And how has it affected us? I went to the Fell down on money. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new season of the Haunted Detective Podcast. Season three, which is uh, absolutely crazy to me. Anyways, I'm your favorite host and paranormal believer, Kelsey Childs, but everyone calls me, drumroll please, the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. When I hear someone call you that, I'm getting a tattoo of it, but only until then. And you are paying for it. Fuck. And I'm your favorite skeptic, Pam. Hi, Pam. Here to ruin my day again. Just kidding. I love you. You love me. (laughs) It's a dark night in the south, the humid air is still and nothing stirs, not even the branches of the straight shadowed trees. The path you walk on is dirt and your feet kick up a cloud that makes it hard to see ahead. After several minutes, you stumble upon a crossroads. It's not spectacular, just any old road, but a black dog stands off in the distance and you can hear faint music, unlike any that's ever graced your ears. It draws you forward in an almost catatonic-like state. The need is insatiable. The music must be yours. If it's drawing me in like that, that has to be some pretty good tunes. Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. At least that's what everyone believes. And unless you're a fan of Supernatural, this story will be completely new to you. And I will bet $100 on that. I mean, it's new to me. In 1911, a baby was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, the product of an affair his mother, Julia Dodds, had. One could argue that the affair occurred because her husband, Charles Dodds, fled the town disguised as a woman, adamant to escape the lynchings happening, which I'm assuming that he was dressed as a woman because it would be easier for him to escape that way. I mean, at that point, whatever you can to escape that, you're going to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. So by the time Robert was seven, they had moved to Robinsonville, Mississippi, where him, his mother, and his new father worked in a cotton field. But something was always missing for Robert. He needed something more out of life, and that's where the Delta Blues came in. A newer genre of music at the time, it was actually the earliest style of the genre we know as the blues, originating out of Mississippi. And this is my favorite thing to talk about is like music theory and history. One of my favorite things. One of many. 
many. But the blues is the reason we have country and it's the reason we have rock and roll. And it's really the reason we have any genre that is popular today. So Delta blues is the earliest known variation of the history of all of our music, which I think is so incredibly cool. really cool. And I also love the blues. I especially love like bluegrass music. I've really gotten really into that lately, like dark bluegrass music. Cue Sam House song playing. (laughs) Just kidding. That are the Bridge City Sinners. Or maybe just Robert Johnson. Or maybe Robert Johnson. Me and the devil was walking side by side. He started pursuing music full-time, but then he met his first wife, Virginia. When he was 17, she was only 14, and they were able to get married because they lied about their ages on their marriage Um, license. Oh, no. Yay. But she got pregnant, so he decided to work in the cotton fields again. Virginia and the baby, unfortunately, died in childbirth, and because of this, he went right back to music because he didn't really have a family to support. I know that... It sounds terrible to say it like that, but he really... He yeah, was alone I mean, you lost point. everything. Everything, yeah. Here's the thing, though. He was never a great musician. In fact, Aww. he was terrible. Like, atrocious. That just hurts more. That really does. And one day, that just changed. How so? He was playing on street corners and in front of venues and at some open mic nights that Sam House would put on. And there's no good way to say this. He was so bad that he literally got kicked out of town. They were like, this man is driving us crazy with his bad voice, his bad guitar playing. He needs to leave. And so they were like, hey, Johnson, get the fuck out of here. This is where the story takes a turn. A couple of months later, he returned to his town and begged to be put up on stage. And Sam House did it. Some people think that he felt bad for the guy, that he had some sort of affinity towards Johnson. But nevertheless, Sam House put him on stage. And just a really quick side note, Sam House was the pioneer, one of three pioneers of the Delta Blues. So having this man as your supporter is a really important thing at the time. Yeah. He began playing, and it was a night and day difference. Some recall that it sounded like two musicians inhabiting the body of one man. It was truly bizarre. And personally, I... I've never heard of anyone becoming prolific in a couple months. So Yeah, I mean, maybe he just practiced a lot day and night, but from what I'm hearing, it sounds like he went from really, 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 really bad to, wow, this guy's fucking Hollywood quality. So I just, I don't know. That's a little weird. But Okay, so personally, when I read that he got kicked out of town, he was bad, he couldn't sing, I think tone deaf, right? This is a man that dropped everything yeah. to pursue music because he thought he could, but he had no idea how bad he was. That just sucks, especially because of what he just went through. He lost his wife and child at the exact same time. And then he gets told that like, hey, bud, by the way, you're the worst (laughs) musician I've ever heard in my life. Like this dude is so down on his luck. Get out of town. Like this dude needs a hug. And then as swiftly as his fame came, death took him at the young age of 27, which was before he even got to experience or appreciate or just revel in his newfound popularity. Does that number sound familiar to you? A little bit. It reminds me of the 27 Club. 
Bingo. He is the first member of the 27 Club. Oh, that's that's so sad. But okay, wait a minute. He's the first member of the 27 Club. So what's the... I don't know what's the legend behind this guy so after he basically got booed out of town he went to a crossroads and summoned the devil or a demon depending on who you ask the devil said he would give robert magical musical abilities but he had to sell his soul and that's what he did he gave his soul to the devil and became famous but he died before he could enjoy any of his newfound popularity oh my god when you said that he sold his soul to the devil, my mind went straight to the devil went down to Georgia. The song I was looking for, for a soul, soul to steal because he was in a band because he was way behind. Sorry. <laughs> the the entire time I was writing this episode, I was actually thinking about <laughs> Tenacious D. Oh my god, <laughs> yes. I just think of the blabble verse where he's just like, you know, you know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. As you may already know, he is not the only celebrity to die at the age of 27. This has perpetuated the whole crossroads, selling your soul myth, and it has since been called the 27 Club. Here are some names. Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones, Jim Morrison from the Doors, Jimi Hendrix, Alan Wilson, Ronald McKiernan from the Grateful Dead, Dave Alexander from the Stooges, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Pete Ham from Badfinger, Chris Bell, Dee Boone from Minutemen, Amy Winehouse, Jean Michael Basquet, Basquet, Sorry if I mispronounced that. Mia Zapata from The Gits, Kristen Paff, Stretch Walker, Jeremy Michael Ward, Jonathan Brandis, Anton Yelchin, who played Odd Thomas, or he was also a Star Trek star. That's that's a really long list, and it's also a really sad list. So if all of these were suicides, which a few are, I'd say sure. What a crazy coincidence, but most of them are not. Mia Zapata was murdered in downtown Seattle after writing a song basically foreshadowing her death. Meanwhile, Jim Morrison suffered from congestive heart failure, but no autopsy was ever done. And the weirdest one, Anton Yelchin, was literally crushed by an SUV. Oh my God. Yeah, his car rolled down his driveway and pinned him against a wall and crushed <gasps> his airway. Oh my God, that is a fucking horrible way to die. Oh, I'm so sorry. And a lot of these are overdoses and whatnot, but it, it's still fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird and it's, it's really sad and it's really weird. They were all so incredibly young, like they had so much ahead of them. And I think the crossroads selling your soul thing is a really interesting concept because a lot of these people grew into stardom very quickly, just like, boom, there, famous. Where did they come from? You know, and then they all lost their lives in mysterious ways or most of them in mysterious ways at the same exact age. I think that selling your soul is something that's been kind of made up in a way. Like, I feel like there is a logical explanation to them rising to stardom other than selling their soul to Satan. But it is really weird that they're all passing away of, of circum like some of the mysterious circumstances at the age of 27. I, I think it's mostly weird that they're all 27. And a lot of them never even got the chance to experience their fame. So Right. They were just getting started. Okay. So I bet all of you are wondering where the fuck I'm going with this. <laughs> where are you going with this, Kelsey? Oh my God. Thanks for asking. We <laughs> We have an underlying theme here, death, demons, and the devil. And it doesn't matter what religion you practice, if any at all, there is something weird going on and I want to know what the validity behind these stories are, or the lore, dare I say. Wait, so are you saying that season three is all about demons? Hmm. 
Am I? Are you? Am I? Are yes. you? Oh, okay. <laughs> My Supernatural fans are gonna go ape shit. Fucking love it. What happened to Robert Johnson to turn him into such a prolific musician? And did that result in his unfortunate and untimely death? Are all of the celebrities in the 27 Club connected in some weird mythological way? Are there really demons? I know that it sounds absolutely nuts, but okay. there are... St- <laughs> Man! Just, just fucking stab me right in the chest, why don't you, Pamela? I'm just saying that there, it's, it's up for debate. Come on, just say it. Just say it. Demons just say it's real. crazy. Sorry. Just say it's crazy. Demons aren't real, okay? There are so many stories surrounding demonology that we need to investigate to further our scope of knowledge. And I think you're going to find some of these enticing. Maybe all of them. You like this stuff. You just don't believe in it. I do. I like this stuff a lot and I research heavily into it. So you would probably think that I believe in it hardcore. Uh, but I think that's why I research into it so much is because I want to believe research? it. You research? Nerd. Uh, duh. Nerd. Why do you think I'm on something called the Haunted Detective? The the detective part of that. Okay, so I guess what I really want to know is, can you make a deal with the devil or some other old god in exchange for your soul and longevity? Have others contacted these entities in different ways? Or is there something else surrounding this lore altogether? Maybe something a little more, well, natural. I can't wait to find out. Onward and upward, dear friend. I will convince you yet. And I think this is the season it'll happen. I am really excited. Onward, noble steed, it's time to spread some fuckery about. Mush! You're you're my steed, Pamela. Oh. Nay. <laughs> you. Oh. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. I almost spit out my propel. <laughs> God. Anyways. <laughs> There's a house in Long Island that stands with a looming presence. It looks just like any house. In fact, most people wouldn't even bat an eye when they look at it. Its energy, though, holds something much more sinister. A stain, one could say, almost a shadow, that overrides the beauty of the neighborhood and its surrounding nature. This one house at 108 Ocean Avenue in Amityville has been engulfed by its sardonic history and what happened within its walls. First, before we get into that, I want to pose a question to the audience. And it's going to seem vague, but... Why do people do the things that they do? What makes someone decide on any other average day to pick up a gun and kill their entire family? Well, for Ronald DeFeo Jr., it was the supposed demons or evil spirits that inhabited his home, and in this case, his mind. On November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald took a 35 caliber rifle and shot his parents, Luis and Ronald Sr., his 18-year-old sister Dawn, 13-year-old Allison, 12-year-old Mark, and 9-year-old John. John Matthew, while they slept in the false security of their beds. He admitted to doing it, but blamed it on the voices in his head. This is how the Amityville house became tarnished with rumors of possessions, hauntings, and malevolent forces. I'm not here to say that DeFeo was right or wrong, or that he might not have done it, which a lot of people believe he didn't. I'm here to talk about what happened in December of 1975 when the Lutz family moved in. Listen, here's the thing. (laughs) If you buy a stunning giant suburban home for a bargain price. In this case, it was $80,000, which would be equivalent to $457,490 today. Gee, think twice before you close on the deal. Something terrible probably happened there. I feel like realtors should definitely tell you. I think they legally have to disclose it if you ask. 
Yeah, if you ask. <laughs> but the normal person isn't going to be like, so, did a massive homicide occur in these walls? Like, no one's going to think about that when they're house hunting. When people are house hunting, they're like, oh, babe, millennial gray and granite countertops. Like, no, they're not thinking of, I wonder if someone killed their entire family here. <laughs> Is that what you think about the countertops? I fucking hate millennial gray. That's all I'm saying. I just, I can't stand it. <laughs> what I need to make you aware of going into this is that I do not believe there was any sort of paranormal influence in this house. Pamela, you and I share the same side for once wow. in our lives. I, I'm flabbergasted, actually. I even went on an episode of Red Web to talk about how much I don't believe that these supernatural allegations are true. Even though I'm not alone in this belief since the My Amityville documentary came out where the Lutz children spoke about their personal experience, it's still an important case to talk about yeah. because of the topics to come. So without further ado, let's get into it. It took all of 28 days for the Lutz family to flee their new darling home. 28 days of terror, 28 days of fear, and 28 days of a waking nightmare. It started off with the children's stepfather, George, waking up every night at 3.15 a.m., the night that the DeFeo murders took place. George already had a knack for dabbling in less conventional occult practices, so the question that everyone asks is, did he summon something and willingly give over control, or did he accidentally open the floodgates? George's temper got worse and worse, and meanwhile, other bizarre things began happening, from green slime dripping down the walls, to a faceless demon with horns and a white hood being spotted, and even a pig. Kathy Lutz, at one point, ended up floating above her bed by the power of some invisible force. The main thing that really led them to fleeing was George. As I mentioned before, his anger was getting pretty bad, and he was lashing out at the family and taking steps towards being, well, physically abusive. Let me mention, though, that George was not the nicest person before they bought the house. He was a mean veteran who had unprocessed PTSD from the war, and he had a lot of triggers that would set him off on a hairpin. But I digress. The one thing George never wanted to do was kill his family, but he heard the voices though, the same ones that Ronald DeFeo claimed convinced him to pick up the gun on that fateful night. There's literally so much we could unpack here, but I'm using this story as a jumping off point. Murder suicides leading to more murder suicides or suicides leading to more suicides, even if just attempted like with the Lutz. Houses, forests, whatever it might be, they get stained by these events and by these energies. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think that things can, to an extent, I think that places can hold emotion in a way, especially if you know what happened there. Yes. I think that you can go into a place and, and experience sadness or anger just based on knowing what occurred there. I think you can experience that. That I believe in. But you don't believe in ghosts? A house that looks like it's haunted, well, it typically is. But when looking at the Lemp family mansion, it would probably never cross your mind to be scared of this regal-looking home. Sure, maybe it has a wistful spirit or some creaking attic boards to scare the children at night, but a sinister force? Personally, I never would have guessed it. Let me start this off by saying, the Lemp Mansion is on the top 10 list of most haunted places in America. And given its history and the lore attached to the Lemps, it's, well, no wonder. Adam Lemp was a millionaire. He created a brewery in St. Louis, Missouri that would keep his family wealthy for generations to come. His son, William, ended up expanding the once tiny brewery until it covered five city blocks. It was massive for the time. William's father-in-law, Jacob Bakert, bought a house in 1876 close to where the family worked. 
The home was used as an office and house. All 33 rooms were made with Victorian style decor. Here's a cool thing about the mansion. They built tunnels that went from the basement of the house to limestone caves that Adam just happened to stumble upon and find that he used to cool his drinks and store them before they went to the brewery because the brewery was too small at the time to store them. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. We're off to work we go. Yeah. So eventually they didn't need the caves anymore to cool the beer. So they turned that into a theater. They added a pool and a bowling alley. Jacob died and William took that really hard. He went into a depression and basically hid in his mansion. And then in January of 1904, another friend of his died. He would then shoot himself on February 13th, 1904 with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson. His son, William Jr., we'll call him Will, had extravagant taste. I'm being sarcastic. He oh. loved to have parties in the house and caves with his friends and sex workers, even though he was happily married. Oh, wow. Great. There were allegations that Will had a son with a sex worker and hit the boy in the attic of the mansion to avoid criticism from the public. A former nanny tasked to care for the boy confirmed these rumors and said that the boy had Down syndrome and was called, quote, the monkey face boy. <gasps> oh, that pisses me off. Will, me too. what the fuck is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, Will? I don't think it was just Will. I think it was the staff of the house as well. What the hell's wrong with you, staff? You're fired. It's giving Game of Thrones. It's giving peace of shit <laughs> it's giving you should not be a father no literally what the fuck that the boy did not ask to be here and you're treating him like shit i know that will is dead now but like fuck you so over the years, life became less exciting for Will as new business competitions for the brewery arose and World War II began. It became clear that he was spiraling as much like his father, he became less social and more refined. He was seen less as he hid in the mansion and barely ventured outside. In 1919, at the start of the prohibition, a period of time where alcohol became illegal, Will and his family did not see it worthwhile to keep the brewery open because obviously during this time, you couldn't sell it, you couldn't make it, you couldn't do anything with right. it. So it just became worthless. They were so wealthy that it didn't make much of a difference either way. That same year, he closed the doors of Lemp Brewery without telling anyone, not even the workers there. They just showed up one day and it was like, oh, we're closed. Oh, that's awful. I know. Those poor workers. It was March 20th, 1920, when Will's sister, Elsa Lemp Wright, also shot herself in the family home. And he was soon to follow on December 29th, 1922, Will also shot himself. Oh my God, there's so much suicide. Now let's talk about the other Lemp sibling, Charles. He moved into the mansion after the death of his brother and sister. He would develop severe OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder that severely impacted his life. But Charles lived in the mansion with Will's son, the one who lived in the attic. And soon after he died, Charles shot himself as well. Jeez, there's a lot of darkness in here. Everyone shot themselves. Awful. We have two rather eerie and similar stories where an energy exists within a family or a house. It is bizarre to me that every first or second generation Lemp in relation to the brewery took their lives in the exact same way. Of course, wealth was a factor, fast cash at that. Their business was a quick success and came from seemingly nowhere. The part that interests me, and I know I mentioned it briefly, is how William Lemp Sr. found limestone caves to store his beer. It makes me wonder, what else could have been dwelling in those caves? Oh, so they weren't man-made. He just stumbled upon them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have got a couple questions. What else is in there? I'm talking about demons, an old god, 
Oh. Mm, don't come for me. It's a theory. It's a theory. You can't. There it's anything. a theory. I don't know. I feel like maybe he made a deal. Maybe he had a little transaction in those caves. I mean, caves are scary on their own. So if you're lurking in a cave, you're probably pretty scary. You're you're a tough dude I wouldn't want to see on the streets. What's the likelihood that he found limestone caves? I feel like pretty low. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> pretty damn low. I'm going to look up what a limestone cave looks like. They're kind of spooky. Oh my God. Are they really? Wait, I'm going to look up a picture. Oh shit. Yeah, they're very spooky. Oh my God. They have like icicle things hanging down. We will post we go to one. <laughs> pictures of limestone caves on the Instagram haunted.detective. So we should go to a haunted limestone cave. We should. That would be so much fun. Well, it might be a little scary, but it'd be a lot of fun. We can't have an entire season on demonology without talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. They were ghost hunting pioneers of America, at least to me. And I know there is some controversy and problems surrounding them, especially Ed, but it's important to talk about the cultural influence they had and how their teachings turned into something much more sinister. True or not, problematic or not, there's a lot to unpack here. Lorraine Warren always knew that she was different. Since she was young, people's auras were visible to her. An aura is a colored energy field surrounding a person or animal. It was a term first used to describe a psychic energy by Charles Webster Leadbeater. He was a priest at the Church of England and part of the Theosophical Society. We'll get into all of this later. But it's important to note that this was the society and the man that coined the term aura because that was a very big thing when it came to Lorraine's psychic abilities. Hmm. And aura is where you see like a color around a person, right? Yeah, and some people have multiple colors, some people have a spectrum, some people like the colors fade, and some people just have a solid color. And each color represents something like envy, lust, love. Interesting. She met Ed when she was 16 and he knew instantly that Lorraine had a hidden gift because she had to keep it hidden from her family. Ed Warren, on the other hand, he proclaimed himself a demonologist and he was self-taught. Both of them were devout Catholics. They saw hauntings as something to study and learn from, but they also set out to banish evil entities plaguing homes and families. Because of this mission, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research and opened a museum with occult, satanic, and demonic items in their home. We know them from the recent and popular movies from The Conjuring and Nun Universe, but there were so many more cases that they involved themselves in. And I'm gonna say involved because they weren't invited for all of them. Some of them, some of them they were hired and invited, but there were over 10,000 cases. 10,000? 10,000. I didn't know it was that many. I thought it was just a couple hundred. Amityville being one of them after the Lutz vacated and Lorraine dubbed it as possessed dubbed the house as possessed and said that there were demons and ghosts and whatever there and there are a lot of images and I'm going to post pictures of everything the limestone caves the Lemp family uh Ed and Lorraine and Lorraine investigating Amityville but yeah they're uh, they're they're an interesting pair the two of them yeah I won't lie I really liked the conjuring films but I didn't know any of the things that surrounded them as people but what is the study of demonology and how did it start? So an important thing to note is that it doesn't just pertain to biblical religions. Demonology is a study of demons or evil entities and their behaviors in religious stories, beliefs, folklore, and mythology. 
According to the Sydney Library, it can also refer to, quote, a branch of magic that deals with malevolent spirits. The term demon comes from the Greek word daemon, which roughly translates to a supernatural or mythical entity or energy that is inferior, meaning it is not a god or of light or good. In Greek mythology, there were many spirits inferior to the gods that were still godly in power. Although not all of them were demons, I interpret the word inferior as used in many academic writings as a flip side of heavenly light or good, like I kind of mentioned before. So this could include the summoning of demons as well, or their inhabitants over a place, home, or otherwise. And a lot of us know what demonology looks like to biblical and monotheistic religions, meaning the worship of only one god. Due to the fact that popular media has portrayed it somewhat inaccurately time and time again, to fully understand what happened to Robert Johnson, the other members of the 27 Club, and why Ed and Lorraine Warren made the claims they did, we need to go back to the beginning and work our way up from there. So we talked about Robert Johnson and the possibility of him selling his soul to the devil to become a better musician. We talked about the limestone caves of Adam Lemp, of him possibly selling his soul to Satan, or sorry, the devil in the caves. And then we also have the history of Ed and Lorraine Warren and their battles with what they claim to be demons. Evil forces. Evil forces, evil spirits, whatever they decide to claim it to be. So from what I'm hearing, we're going to deep dive into the devil. <laughs> Somewhat, yeah. I think it... it it goes a little deeper than that. We're going to deep dive into mythology, Whoa. I guess is what you could call it, because that's what demonology is. It's a theological study of the bad, you know, the bad side of mythology, like, you know, Hades and Loki even and, you know, stuff like that. And while I don't think we're really going to be focusing on Norse mythology as much as we are on Greek mythology... I just want to know what the truth is, you know? And I guess that's what this whole series is about, right? The whole podcast overall is about finding the truth. But there's so much that we don't know about demonology. And of course, I didn't study it. I would have loved to. Mm -hmm. I didn't study it. I'm not a theologist. I'm not an expert in religious studies. But I do know a lot about the paranormal. I do know a lot about true crime. And there are so many links and there are so many... I guess, ladders that you could climb from one case to the other, to the other, to the other, and look down on all of them and say, wow, these are so fucking eerily similar. And, you know, with the 27 Club, someone else made the connection, but there are so many other connections to be made. So listeners, are you ready to deep dive into demonology? I don't know if they are, Pamela. The answer is yes, because you have to. <laughs> it's yes, and it's going to stay yes, okay? Thank yep, you. because you love us. So next episode, we're going to be talking about Greek mythology, where demonology exactly comes from. We're going to be talking about what exactly a crossroads demon is and hellhound, as uh, my supernatural fans will love this. <laughs> we'll also be going deeper into this theosophical religion and study point and talking about exorcisms. Wow. <laughs> This is going to be a wild ride. This season is going to be interesting. I think I'm going to learn a lot from investigating yes. this. And I think the audience, you guys, listeners, are going to learn a lot of stuff that you didn't know. That's the beauty of investigation. I've already learned stuff I didn't know, so... <laughs> investigating with the haunted detectives. We're going to close the case file on demonology for today, but we will see you guys back nice and late. <laughs> Monday, 12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is when we always release... And don't forget to leave us a nice review because it really does help. Share us on your story. Make a fan edit even. <laughs> 
And if you make a fan edit or you draw some fan art, we'll share it. I'll share it on my TikTok. Yeah. And with that, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok. Haunted.detective on Instagram, haunted underscore detective on TikTok, and Miss Pammy J. Correct. Right? Do I have that correct? And I'm the Kelsey Child. So without further ado, we will see you guys next week. Bye.